Hi, this is Greg Fish. Thank you so very much for coming along for my limited series podcast, Because I'm Richard's Son. As I share these chapters with you, I pray that they are a blessing to your soul. And if you'd like to know more about the book, check it out at CorbinFosterMedia.com. That's CorbinFosterMedia.com. Oh, and by the way, this is a CorbinCast podcast. Today's chapter that I'll be sharing with you is entitled Sacred Spaces. There's a peculiar little fruit that I've come to discover is native to my home state, and it's called the persimmon. You'll find persimmons outside Indiana, but I've rarely encountered anyone outside the Hoosier State familiar with this magical little quarter-sized piece of heaven. It's a berry, but nothing like the berries you might imagine. Persimmons are harvested in the fall. Most of the trees simply grow in the wild, which meant that finding persimmons was an adventure that required great strategy. Once the fruit is ripe, you must gather them quickly because deer also have a taste for this natural treasure. While there are different varieties of persimmon around the world, Indiana persimmons are much smaller with a deep autumnal orange hue. Their flavor is unique, though I once heard someone describe them as similar to a fig. You can serve persimmon in various ways, including cookies, fudge, ice cream, and cakes. My preference is a delectable dish that stands out as one of my all-time favorites, the persimmon pudding. And my mother's was the best. (laughs) Trust me. When I say pudding, you might immediately think of chocolate, butterscotch, or tapioca pudding, but it's nothing like that. Persimmon pudding, when made correctly, is a moist, dense cake. Mom would top it off with a sweet, thick, caramel-like glaze. There's one more thing you should know about procuring persimmons. You should only gather the ones that have fallen to the ground. Ripe persimmons fall from the tree. As a young boy, I was convinced that Dad was forcing us to bend over and pick up the fallen persimmons simply to create extra work for us. After all, the teeming branches were low enough that I could have reached up and harvested the fruit without stooping or crouching. Dad, why can't we pick all these off the tree? I asked with layers of frustration in my voice. There came a day when Dad decided to teach me an important life lesson, and it was a lesson I shall never forget. Well, son, why don't you just go ahead and pick one and eat it? He devilishly obliged. (laughs) I was determined to show up, Dad, as I triumphantly plucked the orangish berry from the branch, removed the stiff leaves from the stem, and plunked the fruit into my mouth. School was now in session. You see, an unripe persimmon is one of the most bracingly bitter things you can ever put into your mouth. Far worse than any lemon you may have ever bitten, these little fruits create an instant bunker that has come to sit a spell when it visits your face. I spat, I puckered, I groaned. Dad laughed. Lesson learned. While we don't know for sure what the fruit was that Adam and Eve ate in the Garden of Eden, history has supposed that it was an apple. I say otherwise. I believe that Adam and Eve plucked a persimmon from the tree, bit it, 
and we've all been puckering ever since. In years past, I might have told you that Christmas was the best time of the year. But looking back, the autumns of my boyhood were chock full of rich, fragrant memories that still send waves of joy through my soul. If heaven allows such a thing, I might request to go back and have a wiener roast at the edge of the woods behind the house where I grew up. These events are sacred in my mind. Those were moments when Dad created a genuinely enthralling happening for all who would come. There can never be enough wiener roast in the fall. Sometimes we'd invite family, other times folks from the church, and on occasion, it could even be just Dad and me. Those were spectacular hours. Dad and I would gather branches for a small bonfire, carve the end of a green sapling clean, and poke it through the finest sausage concoction of all, my beloved red dog. A red dog is probably, in essence, pure junk. But it is divine junk. Sometimes we'd call them fat dogs for their larger-than-usual shape, but they would always be held in a red casing that would pop crack and split open as we roasted them over the fire. Once delivered to the bun, the only suitable toppings were yellow mustard and relish. As you bite into a fire-roasted red dog, grease rolls down the side of your face and 10 hours is automatically deducted from the span of your life for eating such garbage. And it is worth every bite. As much as I loved red dogs cooked over an open fire, being alone in that sacred space with Dad was the highlight. No fizzy bottle of pop or bag of chips could ever accompany a moment like that as nicely as simply sharing space with Dad. Want another dog, son? No, Dad. Let's just sit here for a while. Sounds good to me. When friends or family would join us for Wiener Roast, there would be rituals that were as predictable as any family Thanksgiving tradition. There would be the sweet aroma of persimmon pudding wafting through the house. Dad would be outside dragging logs into place for seating, then building and stoking a magnificent bonfire. As darkness began to frost the October landscape, cars would arrive. Doors would slam shut, and happy voices could be heard from the distance. The closer you get to the wooded area where the greatest of events is about to unfold, your feet begin crunching over more and more fragrant fallen leaves. The smell of burning wood greeted your nose, and that hot orange glow would warm your face. It was important to select a thin, but strong sapling branch and carve the end to needle-like precision. The correct way to skewer a hot dog was in parallel fashion, end to end, though that required a certain exactitude so you didn't merely split the dog in two. Some would demonstrate inexperience by threading the hot dog onto the stick from the middle in the shape of a T. That was a recipe for disaster. Those neophytes often ended up losing their meaty morsel to the fire. After marshmallows had been roasted and faces and fingers were sticky and white, it would be time to gather around the fire for stories. And the highlight of the night would be Dad's recounting of 
Haley Paul. We'd never get enough of the tale of the old man who lived in the woods by himself and how one day he chopped off a tail sticking out from under a log from some creature hiding underneath. He took the tail back to his cabin and made soup. But late in the night, a voice came crying from deep in the woods. Dad would slowly pace around the fire, hunched over with arms extended wide. In hushed, spooky tones, he'd say, that old voice kept on saying, you know, and I know, all I once might haley pose. You know, and I know, all I once my daily pull. Slowly, methodically, he'd weave the tale while looking for the one who, not having heard the story before, was utterly spellbound by the legend. Suddenly, Dad would jump towards the poor, unsuspecting victim and shout, You've got my daily pull! Screams would ensue, and if we were lucky, someone would fall off their log in fear. <laughs> the rest of the guests would roar with laughter. No matter how often I heard Dad tell the story, the payoff was always worth the wait. The spot where we held those wiener roast was a place where heaven touched earth. It was a sacred space. Sometimes I'd explore that precious spot and look up to the sky when alone. There, I'd see a perfect circle burnt into the canopy of trees from years of blazing fires. Or perhaps it was a portal that God had placed there so that we could be transported into his presence every fall. It is a true crime that our government never saw fit to declare that ground a sacred national monument. It's a shame because in the years after Mom died and Dad sold that house and property, some ingracious lout built a garage and created a junkyard of cars over that space. It was a profanity of the highest degree. Did they not realize how precious that ground was? Could they not feel the power of the history emanating from that space? Just as surely as Dad is gone now, so is any chance that I'll ever be able to visit those days in my mortal body. But just as surely as Dad walked there, and just as surely as he created an event that so electrifies my memories, that place and those days will never leave me. For a moment each fall, Dad was Walt Disney, creating a wonderland and weaving tales and authoring adventures that no one there will ever forget. I am convinced that God uses sacred spaces and occasions like these to draw us closer, to hold us tight. There are times in the passing of our days when we might not sing church songs or utter a scripture verse, but even still, heaven closes in. The breath of God breathes heavily all around us, and we feel content, joyful, and at peace. In those perfect moments, life is a gift from heaven, replete with God's unfailing love and abiding presence. My memories are ablaze with the simplest stillness and the most perfect smoke-infused happiness. 
because I'm Richard's son.